0: Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 116 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz.
1: Hello, Husker fans and college football fans.
0: Hello, hello. So this is College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. Father-son duo here to talk about all things going on in the broader world of college football, as well as our favorite beloved team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And there's a lot to talk about on that front uh, this particular episode with some uh, news about our head coach and all that. Uh, But before we dive into any of that, we're going to do our traditional beverage to start off the podcast, as well as that, our recap of the Ohio State game.
1: That sounds good. I'm going to opt out of the, the beer thing. You're going to carry the the mantle for this week as I have uh, a nice glass of uh, ice water in my possession right here. So I'm going to drink that tonight.
0: All right, and I have ah. <laughs> I have my last Sapporo here, the Japanese beer. Ah. So yeah, here we go.
1: Well, are you planning on uh, getting some more of that, like before we see each other at the holiday?
0: Uh, maybe we'll see.
1: Well, if you do, then you can bring it down with you, and we'll uh, you'll
0: you'll have we'll have one together. <laughs> we could do that. Yeah, we will be together for the Thanksgiving holiday this year, which means for the Iowa game. Yes, we'll be together for the Iowa game. So we'll we'll do a podcast in person after that game, for yep. sure. Um, yep. And I will be the preview for like all the conference championships at that point in the season, I think. So there'll be a good uh, one.
1: Yes, it would be. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Um, so to dive into that Ohio State game, as we mentioned uh, at the start, um, we gave our usual predictions on the previous podcast, episode 115. And we both predicted that Ohio State would win, although by different margins. Uh, I said 52 24. You said 63 17. (laughs) Uh, So, just looking at that, when you look at the final score of the actual game, 26 17, uh, any uh, reasonable third party would say, well, that's great. You know, you guys did way better than you thought, which is true.
1: Another (laughs) moral victory.
0: (laughs) It's true on the one hand. I saw somebody saying, Oh man, we didn't lose by uh, less than seven points this time. We lost by uh, nine points. Such a such a difference, you know. <laughs> um, coin. Exactly. So this was a a game that we're not going to spend too much time on because it's frankly a broken record of many things we've said uh, previously on the podcast. Um, but I think it is worth commending. Uh, Scott and the uh, general program on the fact that we were worried last week that this might be where Scott started to lose the team because of all the disappointing losses this season and staring down such a tough end of the year schedule, as well as uh, worrying about many empty seats in Memorial Stadium uh, because of how badly we're going to get our butts kicked and everything. Um, But from what I saw, uh, Memorial Stadium was rocking nice and loud, you know, causing Ohio State a few uh, false start penalties. Um, And the defense, at the very least, definitely came to play, Uh, took Ohio State, who I believe is one of the top scoring offenses in the entire country, held them to 26 points, um, got two interceptions. Really, really proud of the way that they came out of play. Uh, Jojo Doman had a terrific game. Um so there was there was a lot to like on that front. Um it was more on the offensive side and special teams where we were let down once again, which again has been the uh repeating theme of this season.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, as you said, you don't, we just don't want to beat beat a dead horse or, you know, the, the play of the broken record, but the bottom line is that um you know, we again uh, rose to the occasion, especially defensively, uh, and competed with one of the better teams in the country. Uh, but then found uh, enough ways to, you know, basically shoot ourselves in the foot, damage our our chance to win uh, with, you know, a, a variety of things. Uh, again, uh, kicking game became an issue um, for us, like it has every every one of these times it seems like. Uh, both field goal and punter and um um and then you know uh really badly timed penalties that were very much a, a problem and then on offense uh play calls that just caused me to scratch my head so
0: mm-hmm. yeah well and i i think the the turning point in the game was uh where we we scored in the i believe it was like late in the third quarter With one of those uh, long passes to Toure, who also had a great game, and that was he had one huge run earlier in the game, which gave us a much needed touchdown, and then the second run was even better because he like did some moves to make some guys miss, got all the way down to like the two yard line or something like that. Really, really great run by him. Um, So we scored there. Then our defense comes out, gets another interception on Ohio state and we have the ball at like the 30 yard line or so of our own side. And it seems like we've got all the momentum, the crowds into it, you know, and if we were able to get a touchdown there, we would have gone up, I believe, uh, yeah. Score. Um,
1: that would have been in the third quarter, right? That, that, it, well, it was, it
0: was right at like the end of the third quarter into the fourth was when this was, yeah. Happening. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, um, that was the one where and we we had some success on offense you know getting some first downs but then you know I think we ran it twice for like seven yards and then threw it on third down for nothing uh and we bring out our picker who had missed the 45 yarder earlier and then made like a 35 yarder or something like that you know so and this was like a 28 yarder or something so definitely you know within his range of what he's shown to be able to do. And he shanks it. And that one really hurt because we really needed seven points, but then did not get any points to walk away without even three points, uh, was really rough in that situation. And Ohio state kind of capitalized from there. And
1: yes, it sucked the wind out of the stadium. Everything
0: was awful. Yeah. It was a 31 yarder. Actually. I've got it here. We have the ball in the 29 (laughs) yard line. Um, so that, yeah, that was a rough, rough one. And, you know, Ohio state on the reverse side had, I think three field goals over the course of the game that they all hit. Um, similarly our punter, you know, kicked, he kicked In- like a including, s- including,
1: including uh, Alex, I believe uh, like a 50 yard field goal. So, I mean, this guy, he hit some long field goals.
0: Yeah. There was the one near the end of the game was a longer one. I believe. Yeah. Our punter, you know, once again, he, he, it was, I think on the Series before his bad punt, he kicked like a great 60-yard punt, you know, made the Ohio State guy have to go backwards to get it, you know. And we averaged actually 43 yards on eight punts over the course of the game. So when you look at that, that's a solid average. But hidden within there is the fact that one punt went for like 13 yards or something. So, yeah, something exactly. like that, right? Which was, right. you know, at a terrible point in the game to do that. So it's right, just, right? It's clear that the talent is there. It's just the consistency on game day that's needed.
1: Yep, exactly. So that that is the the same old story, and and what's you know led us to uh, having to you know make uh, changes or or whatever, uh, and and you know to consider firing our coach. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and Ohio State had uh, Garrett Wilson, their great wide receiver, was injured, so he wasn't in the game. And they had eight penalties over the course of the game for 65 yards, so, you know, two interceptions, whereas we had no, no turnovers until the very end of the game when it was already over at that point. So really, I mean, we had, you know, they weren't playing their best, so this was our opportunity to strike. We were playing at home, you know. It's it's one of those yep. situations where we've seen other teams in the Big Ten that are considered to be lesser than us capitalize in so, those sorts of situations, and we just can't find a way to do it.
1: Exactly, that is exactly right.
0: So that was uh, you know commendable that we played them close and everything, but still disappointing, of course, because you want to win those close games. We really needed you know, a big win here in these last three games. Yeah. Um, Not
1: just want to, if you're Scott Frost, you need to. You need to.
0: Well, that's what I was said on the previous podcast, and we were texting, I believe, right after the game, and my uh, what I was saying was Scott needs to win one more game amongst these last three against Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. I felt like if he lost all of them and had only three wins at the end of the year, that that had to be it for him. Excuse me, because, uh, you know, it's just an unacceptable result for a year four coach at Nebraska. Right. Uh, However, uh, Monday, the big news dropped from uh, Trev Alberts, our athletic director at the University of Nebraska, uh, that Scott Frost will be remaining as our coach into next year. Uh, However, it is on a restructured contract. Um, and was, some of the details were revealed, like the fact that his pay is dropping from five million dollars to four million dollars, and importantly, uh, if we were to fire him next year, his buyout would have been seven point five or sorry, fifteen million dollars. That's been halved to seven point five million dollars. Um, Alberts did say that uh, he did not require any coaching changes from Scott, but apparently Scott, on his own. Accord decided that he needed to clean some house on the offensive side of the coaching staff. And so uh, Matt Lubick, our offensive coordinator, Mario Verduzco, our quarterbacks coach, our running backs coach, Ryan Held, and our offensive live coach, Greg Austin, were all uh, immediately terminated. Only uh, Sean Becton, our tight ends coach, is remaining on the offensive side of the ball in terms of uh, coaching. Uh, so this was quite the statement from both Alberts and Frost, clearly that they know that, uh, you know, next year is the do or die year. And Scott is willing to make some significant financial sacrifices uh, for his own well-being to have kind of another shot. Uh, A lot saw a lot of people comparing it to what happened with Jim Harbaugh last year uh, with his contract negotiation as well. So what was your first reaction when you saw the news, dad?
1: I, I was uh, well. Number one, I, I, I would say that I wasn't completely surprised because we had discussed, I believe, on the previous podcast, you know, that if we if a, uh, a change was going to happen, there was kind of three options, and frankly, one of them was exactly what transpired. I, I guessed wrong on one of the coaches. I I speculated that Sean Becton would be fired along with the others. And that there was maybe more of a possibility that Ryan held, who has been our probably ace recruiter, our best recruiter over the last, you know, three years with Scott and um, has done a pretty good job of bringing talent to Lincoln. that He might be given a little bit of a break, you know, on that. And he's also a, 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 a uh, alumnus of the university. So uh, and so, you know, a fellow Husker. Uh, but it didn't didn't happen. Uh and uh Sean Becton was the only one that survived. Um so, you know, um uh what surprised me pr- probably was the timing that we would do it uh this week. And I get it, it's a it's a bi week, so you have two weeks. But but and I don't know that um uh, um Trev Albers necessarily expected Scott to um then immediately fire the coaches. Um but I think Maybe after his discussion with Trev, he realized, okay, I know what I'm going to be doing at the end of the season. And, and, uh, you know, the signing day's coming up and, uh, I, I need to move on right now and, and start figuring out this thing. So, so he decided to act immediately.
0: Yep. And and what I texted to you as we were talking about it is, you know, I think there's, uh, definitely is still a debate about if this is the right decision, given Scott's track record, you know, if it's right to give him another year um, at our current situation in the season. Uh, but if you are going to keep him and it's clear that Trev has wanted to keep him, we've said that on past podcasts. Um, I think if you were going to keep him, this was the right way to go about it in terms of. um Announcing it now, you know, like you said, during a bye week, but before the end of the season. So, you know, it's clear to recruits that Scott's going to be around for at least another year. Um, right. And also making up front that there were uh, very serious discussions, you know, uh, reduction in money, you know, certain uh um, what do you want to say? Guidelines, right? Guidelines, right. expectations, you know, things that Scott needs to achieve next year. We don't know any details on those, but we know that they exist. Um, and then the fact that Scott did fire all those coaches. Well, on the one hand, it makes me wonder uh, who's going to be coach of the offense in our next game. Uh, but, on right. the, but on the other hand, uh, I think for the fan base, it was good to get that double punch back-to-back back of Scott staying and we're clearing house on a lot of these coaches. Cause that's the thing that a lot of people have been calling for Scott to do. And so it's Scott showing I'm committed this time. I'm going to do what's necessary to set this program on the right track. Trev said in that press release that uh, Scott had laid out a plan for Nebraska's future to him, a plan that he was on board with, with those conditions in place. So, Um, Scott's clearly, you know, gambling a lot on this.
1: Exactly. And, and I think Trev has positioned the university where, you know, yes, you will clearly be able to, uh, you know, accuse, uh, Trev of doing this for exclusively money reasons. And I think it's true that certainly part of this was to reduce the university's obligation. Uh, but, uh, but I think he, he gave himself a window of opportunity uh, by time uh, for h- himself to figure out what the next step for Nebraska will be if Scott doesn't fulfill the, uh, the expectation, uh, but at, the ba- at about the same cost, you know, because if Scott had, if we had fired Scott this year, his buyout was $20 million and his salary was $5 million. So just him alone would have been 25 million plus all the assistant coaches. So so I mean the university would have been writing some big checks, you know, to the tune of, you know, 35 million dollars probably over the next couple of years. Well, now I think that's still going to that's potentially still going to be the case, but we delay that transition with Scott a whole year and give him one more year to to write the ship And Trev really wanted to do that based on his conversations with Scott, and based on uh, the desire that you know Scott's a Nebraskan and he's a he's a Husker, and we want to give him every opportunity. No one will be able to accuse um, Trev Albers of not giving Scott enough time.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think it's significant in that because one thing we talked about on a previous podcast was that if Scott did only have three wins this year and it was a really disappointing season. He might, you know, uh, negotiate with the university because he cares about the university being his alma mater and everything else, um, that he would, you know, uh, decrease his buyout or, you know, leave gracefully in some form or fashion to like, you know, save the university, some face and some money. Um, and clearly here he took a hit to his own, uh, uh, checkbook uh, for that opportunity to have another chance because he wants to make this work. And like I said, I saw a lot of people comparing it to what happened with Jim Harbaugh, where I believe he cut his salary from eight million a year to four million a year—a very drastic reduction because yep. he was not achieving uh, the level of excellence that was expected from him at Michigan.
1: I think you're exactly right. I think well, I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I you know, again, I, I kept going back and forth between. Just fire him and, you know, peel off the Band-Aid, right? And just, or the scab or whatever you want to say. And then let's go forward uh, with what, whoever's next. But I, I think uh, there was a part of Trev that just didn't want to do that, that he felt he needed and, uh, and, and believed in Scott and his vision for the program and wanted to give Scott that opportunity. With a very, very tight, tight and specific time frame. And uh, we'll see. We'll yeah. see what's going to happen.
0: And to your, our point from a previous podcast, there's the point that Trev Alberts is a new AD, you know, first time at a Division I school. He maybe hasn't had the time to establish all the contacts that he wants to, right, in terms of like coaching networks and things of that nature. Um, so now he basically has the time to kind of get those webs out there with the knowledge that he might have to, you know, pull the trigger and activate that if Scott has another disappointing year next year. Um, Cause they did say in this whole uh, release that even though we'll be bringing in a new offensive coordinator, you know, and obviously changing up quite a bit on the staffing side of things, they're not viewing this as like a, you know, okay, we've got another three years to get this working guys. It's more of a, no, you know, we got to hit the ground running immediately. Um, which brings me to an interesting question. Um, you may not have had the time to do much research into the the thought, but um, who, in an ideal world, who would you like Scott to get as his new offensive coordinator?
1: Yeah, I, I have no idea at this point. <laughs> it's, other than this, there's a couple of things. You know, Scott has gone to the well of people that have that he's worked with before, and that were clearly part of the the coaching tree of either himself or, um, or uh, Chip Kelly, right? And so um, from that standpoint, uh, that's a pretty limited number. Now he's looking at, uh, I think, a broader uh, variety of potential offensive coordinators. I don't think he's necessarily going to be able to go out there and get himself some big-name offensive coordinator, right? Uh, we're going we're gonna to end up with somebody who maybe was quite successful um, uh, at a lower division. Uh, that's, that's what I think, or we're going to get somebody who's a little long in the tooth, but who's got a great deal of experience and would be looking at this as a short time gig anyway, and is okay with the the circumstance of not having a five-year contract. You know what I mean? Like, like knowing that this could be a one year or two year kind of deal. I'm sure anybody that we hire for like offensive coordinator, they're going to get a two- or three-year contract. Oh, yeah. We're, and we're going to be pretty much paying them the whole damn thing if Scott ends up getting fired.
0: Right. I mean, I think in the modern college football, you have to, you know, I don't know about do one-year contracts really exist anymore, you know, um, except well, for, like, yeah, younger that, coaches maybe.
1: I was going to say it used to be that all assistant coaches were, were one-year contracts and they were renewed every year. Uh, but nowadays, no, I think nowadays a lot, a lot of them are three, right. uh, year for the assistance. So, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if the next person's going to get, a, a, you know, and with some pretty full guarantees, like, so that this person, even if they walk away, they're getting all that money. Right. right. So, um, um,
0: I was thinking though, and I mentioned it to you before that, um, you know, it's really It's a hard task on the one hand, because clearly, you know, we've sucked for so long. You know, we have this losing mentality, this choking at the end of games thing that really needs to be fixed. Um, But on the other hand, you know, we're so it's clear that the team is so close in so many ways. Right. And all you need to do, really, I think like I think if Scott gets to like six wins next year, say we're six and six and we go to a minor bowl game. You know, I think that's. Obviously, we would still be disappointed in a number of ways, but that would be enough to keep Scott going, I think, and to keep those assistants going, you know. So it's really like not like you're being asked to, you know, go start competing for the Big Ten Championship year one, right? So I would feel like a good coach with a good, you know, like you say, with experience and a proper offensive system that they've developed should be able to come in and if you can, you know, pull it off right, you know, you'd be like the savior of Nebraska, right? So
1: Right. Exactly. And that's the that's the thing, is that if this group of coaches kind of gets the ball going in the right direction, then that could very, very well uh be a great gig for those guys, right? Uh but but Scott also needs to think about recruiting, uh if he's hiring people for the longer term. You know what I mean? If he's hiring people for just next year, um and then he'll deal with you know, the consequences after that. Well, that's just perpetuating uh, failure because, because then we're going to have a, a, a coaching staff that can't recruit. So you darn well better be on the permanent hires. Here's a question for you, Alex. What do you do for the Wisconsin game, which is coming up in a week and a half? You've got to have coaches to coach these guys. And since we fired them immediately – you know, now all of a sudden, you know, that offensive coaching uh, side is gone for the most part. So we need to go grab people, preferably uh, directly from, um, you know, our graduate assistant group, our analyst group, um, and uh, maybe uh, a couple of uh, retired coaches that know the program and are close to it, like Ron Brown, for example, who's a member of the athletic department. But, uh, is no longer, you know, in the co- involved in the coaching side of things, but has been a brilliant coach over a, a number of years. Right.
0: Well, um, I, I definitely think. I mean, in terms of like calling the plays, you know, it seems like Scott's been pretty um, uh, involved with that himself, you know, throughout this whole process. So. I think he'll fill that spot of Matt Lubick on the offensive coordinator side of things for this temporary period Um, for the other position spots. I would agree with you that, you know, older coaches or GAs, you know, probably stepping up into the roles. Um, And I would hope at least that, you know, I, I don't get the impression that this is coming out of nowhere from either Trev or Scott, that this is something they've been, they've said they've been having these long Sunday meetings for several weeks now. Um, And so I feel like uh, Scott had a a plan that like, okay, if things go badly, I'm going to get rid of these guys and I'm going to, you know, quietly call so-and-so and say, hey, I may need you to step in for these last two weeks of the season. Can you do that for me? That's my guess.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I so I'm going to be curious to follow that and see what happens literally in this short term of these next few, um, next few days to figure out if they even share, um, what the, uh, what do you want to say, uh, what the plan is for the short term? Uh, and then, and then longer term, I'm hopeful he's going to do, you know, a fairly national search. Because if, if you take, something, take care of the short term, right, yes, I will concede that that's not the best thing to do from a recruiting standpoint for this particular recruiting cycle. But uh, you need to make the right choices for your, your new staff members. They're going to be part of the team for all of the offseason and, and through into uh, the 2022 year.
0: Right. I will say, I saw on the Husker Reddit today that somebody was doing the classic. Uh, tracking of a plane and would like left Omaha, went to Alabama, stopped off, you know, somewhere else. It was going to all these like Louisville, all these different big cities. Um, Uh So, you know, who knows what that might be, but it could possibly relate to this, you know, short-term, you know, coaching, uh, coaching situation, or maybe the more long-term, you know, talking to potential hires you know who knows right Um, I mean
1: you know you got an LSU staff that's obviously gonna be replaced uh, at the end of the year uh, and there's some talented coaches on that staff the USC's got some talented coaches so so uh, trust me there's there's gonna be talented coaches available the question is how do you entice them to choose the Nebraska the gig right right I mean how to how do they do that
0: yep that's gonna be the trick um remind me who is our uh the guy on our staff who knows special teams really well but isn't a special teams coach
1: billy bush bush is his last name um spelled more like the beer though i think than it's not b-u-s-h it's b-u-s-c-h i believe but uh and and i have heard nothing about him being promoted or that uh, of Scott, you know, deciding that, that that was important enough that he was going if, to... If he goes through this whole, you know, change of coaches and we still don't have a special teams coordinator, I think Nebraska fans will completely lose it. And uh, the outcry will be enormous if Scott is, is that tone deaf to the problems that happen on the field every week. You know, and he tried to, to minimize it by saying, well, this Ohio State game, it wasn't really about the... Uh, uh, special teams it was about the specialists okay and it, well I, I don't give a damn what it is but you're exactly <laughs> right it was about the specialist it was about the punter and the kicker it wasn't about somebody lining up wrong it wasn't about an illegal procedure penalty on a field goal try or anything like that it was about those guys not executing well you know what that's part of developing proper kicking game and that means whoever's coaching your kicker and punter aren't getting them to move in the positive direction of consistency. And that's what a special teams coach would do. And, you know, Bush has a history of being pretty good at it. So I'm hopeful since we have him on it, uh, on the staff currently as a uh, analyst that he's right there, that this would be a nice after. And he, I believe he is from Nebraska, from right. Western Nebraska.
0: So, and I agree with you. I think it's a so obvious, you know, to just, one out, just promote from within somebody who's familiar with the program and give him the chance to really, you know, stretch his legs fully as a coordinator. Um, But if the one thing is that if we do do that, then obviously we lose an assistant coach at one of the other positions. So what's the uh, coaching position you would sacrifice for the special teams position?
1: Well, currently we had uh, an offensive coordinator who did not coach a position, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators also take on some role in coaching a position, right? Um, so that's one option. Uh, and that, of course, depends on what what the offensive coordinator's history is as a coach. Um, so when that decision is made, that'll figure out whether that's an option. Uh, the other possibility is we had a quarterback's coach. Again, you don't you don't have to have one guy be the quarterback's coach when Scott Frost is your head coach, right? It, it would seem to me that Scott could reorganize his staff in such a way that, um, that he took on the role of the quarterback room. Uh, but I, I think he's trying to do more of the CEO thing, so we'll see how that all plays out. Um, um, or we could assign, you know, maybe Billy Bush doesn't get the job. Maybe he's enough time with bush to know you know what he and i don't click it's not going to work and so he's going to stay in his analyst role and i'm not going to give him the special teams job and i'm going to go find an offensive coach who, who i need like a running backs coach who's also a great special teams coach and i'm going to give somebody the job of being the running back coach and special teams coach right uh, combined right which which is still a little scary to me because Again, the the real reason there's not room for a special teams coach designated just for special teams in Nebraska structure is is not so much the the offensive coaches as it is the defensive coaches. We have an outside linebackers coach and an inside linebackers coach, and and on a lot of teams we a lot of teams just have a linebackers coach that coaches all of those positions, right? Um, or you know you know so there's a lot of different ways you can organize that staff. You have ten full-time assistants figured out, but you damn well better have an enormous amount of focus on special teams over the course of the next 14 months.
0: Yeah, I agree. If I see that he's, whether it's from within or from without, as long as we have a special teams coach, uh, that's what I, that would be a good sign to me that Scott, you know, is aware of the complaints and is working actively to fix them.
1: I, I agree. And if he has, and if he doesn't do that, and we go into this next off season with no special teams coordinator and, and um, uh, not an emphasis on that, then Scott will have demonstrated to me that he is completely tone deaf about what's really wrong with his football team. And it's almost assured that this next year will be a failure and his plan that he put together will fail.
0: Very true. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about the coaching change, or shall we move on to Week Ten of college football?
1: Well, I, I, I would say that, as you might expect, the uh, the national and the and even the Big Ten media have all panned this decision as a horrible idea, and e- and even uh, Trev Albers has admitted that you know its likelihood for success is low, which is a bit of a head scratcher, right? So people outside uh, basically are, are wondering, well, why the hell would you do that? And I think the answer is, is that I think money plays a part in this for sure. And I think God being a Nebraskan plays into this pretty significantly also. And then the third element is Trev Albers and his desire and willingness to work with Scott to see if we can turn this thing around. Um, Because that's what Scott would want. That's what Trev would want.
0: Yep. I saw in that uh, there's a nice interview he did on Monday after the big announcement. And one thing he mentioned was that there's a lot of responsibilities, you know, that a head coach has that the public doesn't really know about. And, you know, we've worked within the athletic department administration to take some of those responsibilities off of Scott's back. Um, So that sounds like that's one kind of behind the curtain change that has happened under albert's tenure um so i'm curious to see what ends up happening with that i did see an interesting uh tweet here i'm not sure who this guy is Stuart mandel um but he tweeted he's a
1: he's a he's a very prominent national um um writer
0: okay sports writer. there you go well he said in a year when schools have been tripping over each other to fire coaches asap Nebraska's showing some old-school patience-slash-faith that the record doesn't tell the whole story.
1: It's true. Exactly. And, and 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 But I think that he's in a minority opinion there where most people are not going to... Because, you know, especially in today's sports world, patience is not a virtue.
0: Right. Oh, it's true, right? And like you said, Albert said it was a, a gamble. I, I think he said it was more uncertain rather than likely to fail. Uh, you know right like that this hasn't really been tried much before Um right but you know at the very least the speculation is over Scott is saying so we can stop you know the entire Cornhusker nation can stop talking about whether he should be fired at the end of this year or not you know we're, we're, we're with him for at least another year and we'll see if he can turn the corner cuz you know I do see what Albert's is saying and that like he's seen improvement in a lot of areas of the team you know and we've seen it on the field this year in a number of areas but it's the areas where we continue to make stupid mistakes um and you know give away close games and things of that nature and play a quarterback when he has a broken jaw and a sprained ankle <laughs> that uh right, are still right. causing problems
1: exactly And so uh, it's going to be interesting, um, uh, a little bit entertaining, and very frustrating, I'm sure, over the next 12 or 14 months uh, to figure out what we're doing. I I think that, well, let me say this, Alex, the bigger challenge will be, I guarantee you there's going to be a significant, I don't know if it's over 50%, but a significant part of the Nebraska population of fan base that will not be happy with a six and six record, like you described as the, as the goal or, or not the goal, but as the, as the minimum standard. Uh, and so the question is, is six and six enough for Scott to keep his job? What, you know, and, and I know that Trev didn't put a, put a, uh, record number on, on there as the goal, right? Like he didn't say you got to win seven games or something, but in the eyes of Nebraska fans, if we don't win seven games, in my opinion, uh, then th- that's going to be at best a 50 50 split among Husker Nation. Mm-hmm. I-, I think there'll be plenty of people who are going to look at next year's schedule, which appears to be somewhat more palatable than this year's schedule if you just look at the names of the schools involved. You know, we don't play Michigan State, we don't play um, Ohio State. I think we play Michigan um, and then, you know, Rutgers and somebody else. But guess what? Rutgers and Maryland and Indiana you know those are the quote quote lesser teams from the east guess what they're all better than us so that's not a guaranteed victory just because we don't play Ohio State next year and we don't play Penn
0: State right that's true I mean frankly you know we've looked as closer against some of those quote-unquote better teams than we have against the teams that are lesser than us you know right this year. I mean so. we lost to Illinois You know,
1: uh, in fact, Illinois beat us more substantially than just about anybody. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah. All right. So going over to week 10 of college football, um, there were some pretty interesting games this week. uh, Games that went closer than expected or big upsets, things like that. Probably the biggest one was uh, number three ranked Michigan State high off of a victory over their rival. Michigan uh, came into a game against Purdue who we just played and lost to and uh, Purdue continued that streak as the spoiler makers, as I think they're known and won a uh, 40 to 29. Uh, I only watched the highlights of that game, but frankly the score could have been a lot bigger because there was a lot of times where Purdue got a big play, got, you know, in the red zone and then had to sell for a field goal. I think there were like three occasions like that. So the score could have been even higher.
1: I agree. And uh, it, it's so classic. Michigan state. Right. Um, and this is the downside of, of having a, a, an intense coach who, you know, ramps people up into a frenzy. It works when you're playing your rival Michigan to get you to play at a, at a, a a high level of intensity, but you're not able to to sustain that every week over a long season. Right. And so you're going to have games where you, you just, the, the this isn't there. And you got to you got to just be good enough to make it work anyway. And Michigan State wasn't.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And credit to Purdue as well. Um, They really played well from what I saw. Like I remember there was one play where the their quarterback looked like he was dead to rights in terms of getting sacked. And somehow he scrambled out of that situation and threw a pass right in the end zone for a touchdown, on like third down or whatever. Um, So it was a combo of, like you say, Michigan State playing a little flat and Purdue Uh, playing some of their best football
1: right exactly and and you know when 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 all of a sudden you're in the top four and you're you know being talked about on the college football playoff uh, show guess what targets on your back now now you're you're the hunted
0: oh yeah um and then also there was uh, alabama versus lsu um it was at alabama which i believe made both of us predict that uh, alabama should be able to win that pretty soundly because of uh how down LSU has been this season. Uh, but actually ended up being a, a close game. Uh twenty to fourteen yes. uh loss by uh LSU to Alabama. Um and another one where when I watched the highlights, I frankly was frustrated with LSU because they had—I think they like had a turnover like right in the red zone, you know, like yep. they're about to score, and they they had some boneheaded mistakes that really cost them some points. Uh, they did because it seemed like Alabama really wasn't playing that well that day, but their offense just couldn't capitalize on the opportunities the defense was giving them.
1: Right, right. Uh, well, and that's the thing. And uh, this, this, when we go through this it's going to play into the, this, the rankings that we're going to discuss later in the show. Uh, and, it, and it's amazing to me how all these teams, uh, Alabama being one of them, just did not rise to the occasion. And now they've created a major problem for the playoffs. So, um, um, yeah, Alabama blew an opportunity to really establish themselves, and yet it didn't hurt them because all the other teams that could have put some pressure on Alabama didn't do it either because they struggled, including obviously Ohio state against us. We had our chances to win that football game. We were absolutely in it to the end and uh, had competed with them extremely well, way better than people expected, which means Ohio state didn't play very well.
0: Mm -hmm. Very true. It was kind of an interesting game in the big Ten. Uh, Two teams that have beaten Nebraska played each other, Illinois versus number 20 ranked Minnesota. Illinois actually won that fourteen to six. So, you know they they lost like game after game after playing against us. But it seems like they've kind of found a new spark here in the latter part of the season because they've had some uh, upset wins here recently.
1: They 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 have because they're finally starting to figure it out. Again, I think uh, Coach Bellama's coaching philosophy is he he understands who he is and what he what he's trying to do. And it's not rocket science. It's not super complicated. And it's, it's the basic fundamentals of football, blocking and tackling and playing with intensity. And that's all he's asking his guys to do. It's not, it's not all the sophisticated, you know, um, uh, uh, route formations and, you know, things like what we're trying to do with Scott's offense. And as a result, the, the uh, ability to move a team from, you know, point A to point B in terms of their expertise execute uh, from an execution standpoint is just so much easier than it is with the, with uh, Scott's offense.
0: Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's Texas AM versus Auburn, ranked 14th and 13th. Um, we actually predicted that one on our previous podcast. Uh, oh, you yeah. predicted that uh, Texas a would win, uh, 38 to 24. And I predicted that Auburn would find a way to win because I like their quarterback, uh, 35 to 31. Uh, but it ended up being a more low-scoring uh, game kind of dominated by Texas A&M of 20 to 3.
1: Yeah, and and uh, Auburn looked horrible. I mean, they just kept making a horrible mistake, particularly Bo Nix, the quarterback that you liked.
0: Yeah, so yeah the you know kind of funny that both auburn and alabama didn't play great this week you know and then of course they're going to play each other in the iron bowl at the end of the year um and you know we we all hope of course that auburn can find a way to be the spoiler makers like purdue right and find a way to get the upset but uh if nicks is playing like that i don't think it's going to happen
1: exactly i i wouldn't count on it
0: right and last game we'll mention here is um Tulsa versus Cincinnati, Uh, Cincinnati being a top-ranked team in the college football playoff. Um, It ended up being a 28-20 victory for Cincinnati over Tulsa, Uh, but it had one of the wildest endings to a game I've seen in a long time. Once again, I watched the highlights, not the game live, Um, but I believe how it went was like it was near the end of the game. There was only like a minute or so left on the clock, uh, maybe two. And uh, Tulsa had like a fourth, fourth and like eight, but with uh, at near the goal line. But the, if they got to like the one yard line, they'd get a first down. It was one of those situations. And they were like just the yard short, right? So then Cincinnati gets the ball in like the two yard line and then they go under center and somehow the ball immediately gets fumbled and like pops out over to the side and Tulsa gets it. So now all of a sudden the situation's totally flipped, you know, and Cincinnati who had the chance to just run out the clock and win the game, now Tulsa's got the chance to score again. Um and then I think it gets to like a third or fourth down at the goal line and their guy they give the ball to like one of their big dudes, you know, like a tackler or something. And uh and the guy reaches over the pile and actually has the ball like over the line. But he drops it. He like fumbles the ball as he's reaching it out and it goes to Cincinnati and they end up winning. So like both teams are fumbling it back and forth to each other basically to end the game. It's really weird.
1: That's crazy. Well, yes. And uh yeah. And so so Cincinnati didn't didn't play well this week either, but it didn't hurt them because neither did any of the teams ahead of them. And obviously, Michigan well, state ex-
0: lost. except for Georgia. 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 Yeah. Well, played yeah. somebody and crushed them like 38 to 8 or something.
1: Right. Right. Other than Georgia. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Um what and uh we will save this discussion for a future podcast maybe in the off season, uh, but it's definitely something I'm I'm catching as a theme for this year. Um, and I think it's worth discussing is just the lost art of going under center in modern college football. Cause it, like I said, as soon as Cincinnati did that, they fumbled the ball. We've done that this year as Nebraska. I've seen it happen to other teams where they make mistakes going under center, you know, and yep. those sorts of critical short yardage situ situations. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That would be a good discussion. That That's a great, great discussion.
0: <laughs> I figured you'd like that one. All right. And then looking ahead to week 11, uh, as we mentioned, Nebraska is a bye. So uh, nothing for us this week until the game against Wisconsin the following weekend, uh, though there is some uh, interesting games in the Big Ten, uh, particularly Michigan versus Penn State. Um, yep. Oh, do you know if that's at home for Michigan? It's-
1: no, it's at Penn State, at but Penn State. It's, it's, it's a noon game. It's a noon Eastern time game, which makes it way easier for Michigan. Versus because, a night game. Yes, because a night game whiteout uh, at Penn State is brutal, and they're not getting that. Uh, and, uh, you know, Penn State is coming off of a, a, a tougher than expected game that they had last week, and so I think the, the – the, the situation just just, uh, just does not line up very well for Penn State to win this football game. I, I, I don't think they have the home field advantage that they would if it was at night, and uh, and so Michigan's got to feel pretty good about their opportunities.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just checked here. Michigan played Indiana this past weekend um, and beat them twenty nine to seven. So you know a solid yeah. win for them.
1: Yeah, solid. Not not spectacular. They didn't blow them out or anything. But but again, uh, uh, I think I think Michigan's uh, going to be building some momentum. If anything, Michigan's you know hopefully over the headache of the Michigan State game because that was a very uh, physical and you know hard fought game. But at the same time, there were points, especially in the second and third quarter, where it looked like Michigan had a chance to create separation and run away and hide and they didn't get it done. Right. right? And that's the kind of thing that as you're going through a season, if a team can overcome that and learn from that, and then the next time they're in that situation, recognize it and, and go ahead and say, okay, we have a chance to put our foot on the throat of this team and, and finish it. Then they do it.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Well, what is your prediction for this uh, Michigan Penn state game?
1: My prediction is going to be a Michigan victory. You know, It's harder for me to know what the uh, ultimate score is going to be because Michigan is not uh, as complete a football team as they would probably like to be. Uh, they struggle at times to run the football. Um, and, uh, and their passing is just okay. Um, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a lower-scoring game, so it might not be a blowout. But I think ultimately Michigan wins. Um, uh, If I had to put numbers on it, I'm going to say it's going to be like um, 27 Michigan to 17 Penn State.
0: Okay. Well, I'll also predict a Michigan victory here. um, Going along the same lines as you. Um, They kind of may have gotten a little boost uh, from the – where they got ranked in the college football playoff rankings, which we'll get to here in a moment. Um, I'll go ahead and predict that it'll be a little higher scoring game, um, and the Penn State will keep it close because it is at home and everything else for them. Um, but that Michigan does pull it out in the end. Uh, so I'll go ahead and say it'll be uh, 35 Michigan to 28 Penn State.
1: Okay. Yep. Yep so we're both saying uh, you know 7 10 point victory
0: yep um some other interesting games um there's Oklahoma It's is kind of interesting actually Oklahoma's playing Baylor right after Baylor got upset by TCU last weekend and then on the flip side TCU is playing against Oklahoma state so both uh both Texas teams playing against both Oklahoma teams there
1: right now um um, and Oklahoma State won their game.
0: Uh, who
1: were th- this past weekend? They played I think West Virginia or somebody and beat them. Um, and so, oh, still very much in the thick of things. Um, and yeah, the Baylor loss is devastating for Baylor, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I watched the highlights of that one, and uh, TCU's quarterback was just getting so many deep balls. Uh, yes throne so it was one of those kind of crazy big 12 type you know no defense kind of kind of games it seemed like
1: right where they were just moving back and forth across the field
0: yeah definitely one of those um of interest to us as nebraska fans of course is our upcoming opponent wisconsin uh they'll be playing against northwestern uh this week um Northwestern just lost to Iowa 17 to 12 last weekend, and it is at Wisconsin. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good that uh, Wisconsin should have that game under control, um, though Northwestern does have a tendency to surprise teams.
1: Yes, but I think uh, at the end of the day, Northwestern is, is still down talent wise and Wisconsin is really finding themselves. so so I'm I'm also expecting a Wisconsin victory. But because it is Northwestern, uh, you know, Gerald and his team, they'll find a way to make it ugly and muddy it up uh, and keep it competitive. But Wisconsin's the better team.
0: Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and give a score prediction here first. And I'll say that uh, Wisconsin wins and it will end up being, um, let's say, a little more low scoring here. Uh, Maybe... um, 31 Wisconsin
1: to 14 West Northwestern. Okay. So yeah, comfortable victory for, for Wisconsin. I I'm going to say that you're probably pretty close on Wisconsin's scoring. Uh, so I'm going to say I'll go 28 Wisconsin to uh, 17 Northwestern.
0: Okay. A little bit closer. Very good, very good. And and then as we've been teasing throughout the podcast, um, the playoff rankings did come out today on Tuesday. Um, And the the top four rankings uh, weren't very surprising since Michigan State lost. Obviously, they dropped out, so everybody else just moved up one spot. So now it's Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State uh, with Cincinnati now at number five. Um, interestingly, number six is Michigan. Number seven is Michigan state, which I think is curious because in the similar situation, right with Ohio state and Oregon, right next to each other with the same record of one loss, they gave the edge to Oregon because they had the head to head over Ohio state. But here they didn't give the head to head to Michigan state, even though they have, uh, that win over Michigan. Uh, do you think that's just due to Purdue being perceived as a worse loss? I
1: think that is exactly it. And uh, in watching the show, I did watch that portion of the show where they were discussing that. And uh, uh, all the ESPN talking heads were all, you know, very much, you know, debating the, the benefits or the the, the, uh, the proper thing to do in that situation. And were somewhat split on uh, on it in terms of some of them saying, hey, no, no way Michigan State should be ahead of Michigan. That's, that's crazy. Because, you know, they both have one loss and the head-to-head is in favor of Michigan State. Uh, But others were looking at the whole body of work thing, right, and looking at the other game. So the fact that Michigan State had to go into overtime to beat us uh, is coming back to haunt them, right? Now all of a sudden, style points, when you start looking at the overall body of work and not just an individual game, and everybody acknowledges that the Michigan-Michigan State game was very tightly Contested game. It was one player here or there that changed that outcome, right? So, so it's not like that was a dominating performance or anything like that. So, uh, but they also kind of threw up, which is true, but they threw up the premise that, listen, Michigan State still has to play Penn State and Ohio State. Um, and Michigan has to play Penn State and Ohio State. So, you know, there's lots of games to be played. And so, the, the disparity between those two teams is
0: likely to work itself out
1: over these next three weeks. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Now to
1: I think the, I think the bigger issue is because, because Michigan, uh, didn't necessarily look great and that Michigan state lost and fell back, uh, has allowed Cincinnati now to work their way into that fifth position. Well, If you look at those top four, you know Ohio State still has to play Michigan and Michigan State, right? I don't know who they play this week, but but they may have third game in there. Um, But uh, those are two big ones, right? Um, Oregon still has to play um, some teams, and then uh, and then at the end of the year, play in the Big Twelve or or the Pac-12 championship game. Um, So you know, they have some opportunities to lose. And then Alabama and Georgia are going to play each other, uh, most likely in the, uh, SEC championship game. So there's going to be losses there. It's guaranteed, right? So unless you have the circumstance, like you're saying, where you have an Alabama beat a Georgia and then, uh, and then Georgia stays in the top four, right? Because of body of work and it's their only loss then Cincinnati is going to end up in that top four.
0: Well, the one that you're uh, neglecting to mention here is Oklahoma. Now in the current ranking, they are eighth eighth on the list, but they are nine and O. Now it's you know a bit of an ugly nine and O, which I think is why they're down. But I think right. if, if they went out, you know, when the conference, um, they could still very easily make it in over Cincinnati.
1: Well, and that's, and so now, but now you've put yourself in that position where all of a sudden, the power five team is going to leapfrog the group of five team in the last week because of the conference championship game and the the overall strength of schedule. And I, and I totally agree with it, but it's going to cause this massive ruckus, you know, among people who are like, well, that's not fair. You need to, you know, why was Cincinnati up there and ahead of Oklahoma all this time. And then, and then you pull the rug out from underneath right at the end of the year uh you know, don't set yourself up to do that. And what if they're already there? You know, if Cincinnati's already in that top four or maybe even third position, you know, um my gosh, what happens then? So um then Cincinnati's gonna stay in is what's gonna happen. So so but there's always a chance, because it was almost proved this past week we just discussed the game that Cincinnati lose a game because because they're letting a lot of teams that aren't very good hang around with them.
0: Yep. And which is another thing that, you know, they can, uh, the committee can point to, you know, it'd be one thing if they were in a lesser conference and they were blowing everybody out by 20 points or more, you know, but they're struggling against Tulane and the like, you know, to win. Um, And then we've got Oklahoma here who is also say undefeated by the end. Uh, and has played against tougher competition, even if the Big 12 is a little down this year, et cetera, et cetera. So um, now if Oklahoma loses somewhere along the way and is the Big 12 champion uh, but has one loss, then it gets more interesting, I think, and that's where they would really have a good argument.
1: Then what, what's going to frustrate me is they get in, and then, and then you've got some team just on the outside of that four on the outside looking in. Who legitimately would have given a much better competition uh, within that group of, uh, the final group of four. And by golly, they don't, they don't get that opportunity to compete for a championship because we had to give this to this undefeated Cincinnati team that frankly has not played a schedule that in, in past years, you know, before this playoff setup, they wouldn't have sniffed that opportunity, right? And now they're getting it even though they didn't play. A very tough schedule.
0: Are, are, are you thinking that the committee is um, facing more pressure for, towards Cincinnati because of, say, like, you know, the UCF's uh, undefeated season, you know, and the fact that they, they just went to a bowl game, that they didn't make it into the top four, and then they won that bowl game. I believe it was over Auburn or somebody Aub- like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yes.
1: And I, and I think so. That's the argument from uh, the group of five team, uh, conferences to say, "Hey, we deserve an opportunity." And the problem is, you know what? The table's too small. There, there still isn't enough seats at the table to allow that to happen. When you've got these other teams, I mean, I'm sorry, Cincinnati plays in the Big Ten this year, and they probably have three or four losses already. Right. So, I mean, you know, just doesn't work. It, it's, 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 it's somewhat apples and oranges when you consider. The 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 rigor of the entire season.
0: <laughs> yeah, just ask Scott Frost.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that well, you know, and that's something we I, we didn't bring up yet. So maybe we bring it up briefly here right now. Is uh, getting back to just a little bit of a Nebraska talk. Is that you know if Nebraska was still in Big Twelve, you know what would what would their record be? It, my argument is that the, the mistakes that they made. And the way that they competed, and the pro- prolific nature of their their offensive uh, capabilities, probably would have lent itself to better performance in the Big 12, in the Pac 12, and even the ACC this year. And in all likelihood, Nebraska would be looking at having you know two or three or four more wins. We might very well be seven and uh, you know seven and three right now if we were in the Big 12. Um, and so. Um, the reality is Scott just picked a, a bad year to to have a team that has this Achilles heel when he's playing four top 10 teams in one in one season.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The schedule. I mean, the Big Ten in general is tough. And then this particular schedule we had this year is extra tough. Um, so there's no doubt that that's a factor, um, though. I think you would also have to take into account the, you know, the the extra passing you know spread offense capabilities right of those big 12 offenses like we were just talking about with TCU these quarterbacks that can throw you know 50 yard passes accurately oh yeah Uh, that would be something we would have to contend with defensively as well
1: correct correct which we don't have to as much in the in the big 10 because we don't have that uh, prolific of a of a quarterback group this year very yeah, true. So there's truth there for sure. Maybe our defense wouldn't have looked so good in some of those leagues because of that imp- uh, uh, more impressive uh, offensive output from quarterbacks.
0: Right. Yep. So it's an interesting uh, ranking this this particular week. We'll be keeping an eye on that as we move forward here uh, throughout the season. Um, I was just thinking if we do that, our game in or our, our podcast in person will have to be before the playoff rankings come out. Um, it so would be. So yep. we might have to do, but that that's just before the conference championship game. So correct. The one it won't that, be the final, right. The final will come after that, but we'll still be able to talk about, you know, who the top teams are. Yeah. We'll pretty much yep. know at that point. So,
1: right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. It, it, you know, it's now uh, what's the big game in the sec or is this another one of these weeks? Alabama is going to be playing, you know, little sisters Um, of the poor because it's their week to play a a non-conference game late in the season so they can prepare themselves for their final run and get themselves healthy.
0: I I don't think Alabama is playing anybody of interest. Um, Texas A&M is playing against Ole Miss. That's the big game I saw.
1: Yeah, okay. So that's not really all that big of a game, I, I think from a national perspective. It is obviously for where they are going to end up lining up over time, in the uh, the SEC, yeah, in, in the ranking order of the SEC, but not really uh, a major national one. I, I wonder if a lot of those teams, you know, like Georgia, I don't, I don't think they've played their their little sisters of the poor late in the season game yet. So that might be happening this week. I don't know, but so maybe maybe this is not going to be a big, you know, a, other than the Michigan Penn State game. And there's got to be some stuff out in the Pac-12 like. Who's Oregon playing this week? I don't know.
0: Right. Well, they just got off their win over Washington. So
1: that's true. That was a huge win for them. So maybe they lesser their team this
0: week. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. But yes. All right, we, buddy. We'll see on many, many fronts here. A uh, lot lots of unknowns for Nebraska now with our new coaches. You know, what's going to happen next year in this all important year. And then also more short term, what's going on with, uh, the playoff rankings and Cincinnati and plenty going on in college football to keep us all interested.
1: Absolutely. That is a true statement.
0: All right. So if you all, all of you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also search for us on Apple podcasts or Spotify. If you search for college football, Throwdown, you can leave us a rating or a review. We love hearing from the fans. Constructive criticism is always appreciated. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you for joining me, Dad. And until next time, Go Big Red.
1: Go Big Red.